Hello and welcome to the Euphoria Podcast. It is season seven, episode 12. So I double checked that my phone is silenced and I don't accidentally play WAP for like the sixth time this season <laughs> on the podcast. We're bodied by Megan Stallion. Shout out Megan Stallion. Makes a lot of uh, yaddy, yaddy, very yaddy. inappropriate, but, but very good to dance to um, <laughs> songs this uh, musical season. As they say, I'm Dracos. That's Cadrill. This is the podcast. It's about European League of Legends, despite what the first 30 seconds would otherwise indicate. Uh, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud is the place. I'm very conscious before we started recording. Um, we were talking a lot about accents. Yeah. And I'm very conscious now that I'm accidentally going to slip into a, the, an accent. The southern accent. The deep south. Can oh. you just do it anyway? <laughs> just do it anyway, please. Just for like 30 seconds. Cadrill. Yeah. Talk what, to what you need to understand is we got a full action-packed show ahead of you today. Oh, baby. We got guests in Broken Blade. We got uh, El Yoya coming in. We'll see exactly what... <laughs> He's got to say about the fact that he has now made it to finals as a rookie this season. Additionally, we're going to talk about what the hell happened to Fnatic. That'll be our first topic. But across the board, we're going to be looking back at the games that happened, looking ahead at the games that are coming up, and uh, talking to you about all things League of Legends. It sounds like, okay, so at first you were doing the really, really hardcore Southern, and then it kind of went mixture, and now it's really mixed in there. It's really, it's, <laughs> so what's weird is that my fa- I, so. My family's just like a blend of interesting accents. Uh-huh. Um, and I've got one or two cousins who are like really drawly, but they didn't they didn't grow up in a place where that's how people talk. So yeah. to this day, I don't know how they got that accent, <laughs> but they're like heavy. Yeah. And then um yeah, I have one other like uh I had I had a great uncle who had like the really like I can't I can't do it. It's actually like it's probably offensive to actually do it. Like, but the like the really intense, like crazy, like stereotypical yeah. accent so yeah my family's just posh british posh. yeah mr grows up grows up in spain okay dude just so fancy dude but my accent is just a horror ah uh, yeah but you can speak like three languages so you can speak two i can speak one and a half okay. and that's generous okay uh anyway, but you can speak the language of league of legends which is true and that's the language that people generally come here to hear yeah uh, but let us know in the comments because if you want Posh Cadrill or Southern Dracos for an episode. I don't think we can get a whole episode, but we can definitely give you a whole segment. Uh, we could do a whole episode, I think. We could probably. We could we're probably not, do we're not doing this episode. Yeah. I, I, I do not, how do we explain that to Broken Blade? <laughs> like, uh, welcome, Broken Blade, oh, to the... Welcome uh, back to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Something like this. <laughs> um, anyway, first on the docket today... <clears throat> league of legends well in general league of legends but first the first thing that i think we have to talk about and this is um both very important and also i think a hotly debated topic which is what the hell happened to Fnatic? this is the big question of course they came in uh 3-1 over sk was pretty dominant they had the one game that they threw with a 8k gold lead but then it was the fast 3 versus Schalke. this is the worst finish the Fnatic has had in the playoffs since 2016 summer so that was the uh, Spirit Gamsu roster, for yep. those of you who remember. That was uh, pretty difficult. Those were the dark times for Fnatic. Obviously, it got better in 2018 when Caps came around and uh, they got everything. Shone the light on them. Moving again. Yeah, 2018 Worlds, uh, not a bad look. Yeah. I don't know. If it's a weird one, right? Because the SK series, you think like, oh, it was kind of one-sided. But then you think back to it and you actually watch the games. Fnatic should have lost two of those games the one where sk could have ended and then they just got called out tp don and died mm. um so it should have been a five game series against sk uh, and even treats was saying like yeah we, we should have won that series i don't think they were playing anything like decently they were just throwing games constantly and just fighting for no reason non-stop and then when you get to the schalke series it's like 
the first two games, there's a lot of drama around the draft, right? You have TF Lulu and then TF Cho'Gath. And now TF with an AP side laner who doesn't even win side lane, doesn't make much sense already. Uh, and then I feel like if you just look at the game times in general, I think the first game was 33, 33 34 minutes long. Mm -hmm. The second game was 28 minutes long. And the third game was 26 minutes long. So you can see this progressive trend of just downhill gameplay. And I also feel like, especially in game three, the one game that they have a really good draft or like a decent draft, they have a gold lead. They're winning the game. They just made one mistake in bot. And they all griefed it. Uh, Padaga got a triple kill. And then they just ran mid and just griefed it again. And then the game just ended. It just ended within five minutes of them having a decent gold lead, I feel like. Or five, ten minutes. Yeah, and the biggest part about that in general was there was also a couple of times where they got like these massive shutdowns and it felt like, hey, they can come back and do it. And then again, as you said, they kind of, they griefed it. They got over aggressive. They they fought in around mid-river into like Urgot. Like we literally hear, this is the thing that bugged me the most. We literally heard from Tolkien, like we yeah. outranged them with this composition. You know, we've got this year. We've got this Zaya. We know we can like, as long as they're fighting into us, we're like, good, we're set. You know, he said yeah. in, the, in the one question interview, the lore asked right before we got in a game um, when we were casting this. And then, first time that they feel like they're in a position of power what do they do they run face first into the ergot and kaisa who kaisa's just mashing q ergot's just pushes w and then there's a corky over the wall just free firing rockets into their team and it's artillery like, on the side yeah <laughs> like abadage got like 3k damage in this fight <laughs> auto attacking twice just because he kept getting to push r on like three or four people yeah i don't know that was definitely a rough series for Fnatic, and you could see the frustration in a sense where I remember seeing Selfmade like flashing, stunning a packaged Corky. He gets stunned for one second and he just packages away and then Selfmade's just laughing about it. And like, I can kind of get it because people deal with frustration in different ways and he must be 0-2 down. They threw in the bot dive, they threw in the mid play. The game's pretty lost, just just flip it. Uh, so just take the humor side of it. This is kind of lost, but they got, uh, they got absolutely stomped, I think. Not yeah. only in draft, but in like gameplay across the boards, in, even in lane phases, it felt like there was really nothing there. Like upset Hillisang got 2v2 killed, right? And they were like the strongest 2v2 bot lane. Everything just kind of fell apart for them. Um, I don't know if it's just, just something that was working for them in scrims. You could criticize the draft as much as you want, but this is something that was probably working for them in scrims, right? The TF Lulu Olaf or the TF uh, with the Cho'Gath. The TF in general was probably something that, that was really working for them. But there was just a lot of question marks for me, right? You have TF Lulu one game and then you're picking up Lee Sin another game, which doesn't make sense because his champ is just so weak. You even saw like level 6, level 7. The volley bear just out farming him naturally yeah. and was stronger in 1v1s. I, Everything kind of fell apart for me. And I do wonder who Fnatic was scrimming that this was like this was the information that they got, right? And I and I don't know. And I actually haven't asked yet. And maybe maybe they're willing to talk about like why more about why this was the situation that they ended up in. But mm -hmm. the thing that was disappointing to me, you called it out already, was double blind pick GP from the side of Shalka. Is GP a strong pick, a strong blind? Yeah, for sure. Like, he can sit and he'll scale and he'll eventually be relevant. But, like, when Whippo, as a longtime GP player, locks in Olulu, I'm like, this man's got something up his sleeve. And then we see the game and the something up his sleeve is, like, going even. Uh, behind even. Yeah, falling, well, eventually falling behind, right? But, like, yeah. the Cho'Gath lane, it's like, okay, well... You know, more frontline, I guess I can, like, I don't really know that. It, I always trust Bobo when it comes to top lane matchups because he's the guy I ask, right? Like, if I don't know a top lane matchup internationally and I'm prepping for worlds, I'm like, Bobo, you got to talk to me about, like, Camille Renekton. How does this work? How does this work? Because mm. like, he's a guy that is very good at, like, sharing his opinions and usually has a really good idea around why he picks stuff. So I'm sure there's an idea there. But what I'll say is, like, it just didn't show through on stage at all. And I just, yeah, I wonder where this, like, because I, I, I believe, like you, that, like, drafts come from somewhere. People don't just make up that champions are good, right? Yeah. They don't just go and, like, it's not, like, just theory crafting. Like, you play it in scrims, too. This information has to come from somewhere. And my question, I guess, is, like, where did this information come from from Fnatic? 
And I, I also think that the important thing to note is the coach doesn't single-handedly do the draft himself, right? Yeah. The coach presents options and the players decide what they want to do, right? So I present you a draft. Oh, the team first picked Udir. Would you want to match jungle here, self-made? Or do you want to pick jungle on three? Or can we even just pick mid-AD support and just sack jungle till 4-5? And you have all these discussions for hours and hours and hours with the players about what they would want to do. So... You can't really pinpoint this all on the coach. And I know Yamato got a lot of flack for the drafts and like people saying fanatic drafts, what the hell. But I think that this was something they prepared in scrims, first of all. And second of all, the players were comfortable with going on stage, right? Um, or like also, were comfortable in the draft itself. And yeah, maybe the series is super different if they have a different game one draft and there's momentum. But like Selfmade came out and said on Twitter, like they just, he didn't feel like they were, he expected this to happen. You know, they weren't, they just weren't that good. Yeah. Right. And like, obviously super disheartening for a fanatic fan to hear but i think it's good that you cause specifically that like people always want to put blame in like one thing right because it's just simple and the mm -hmm. simple answer is always i think the most satisfying anytime you have to go okay well it's a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of that it becomes this like kind of muddies the discussion right yeah. but i think that the reality is is that this is a new team they lost reckless people can talk about how big of a factor that is but regardless they replaced two players right big deal and they replaced their entire coaching staff essentially mm -hmm. with this Yamato Toki swap. So if this team was not named Fnatic, I would say this is a fine first split for a rebuild. It's not great. Don't get me wrong. The fashion in which they drop out is, is pretty crap. That said, I think contextually, I think it's unreasonable for people like already calling for heads. Obviously yeah. the world is always the goal for these teams. It's a difficult season. You know, we're still dealing with quarantine, adapting in quarantine. You've got coaching staff. You've got Fnatic with all sorts of COVID, all sorts of drama. And I wouldn't say that Fnatic should be super proud of this split. But at the same time, I think it's even though a lot of players griefed it. And I know there's a lot of people upset that like Hillisang, you know, was over aggressive in some of these games that a lot of players didn't have their moment. And maybe people are like already like, oh, bring Nemesis back. Niski. It's like, oh, guys, come on. Like, that's not I think it's too soon. It feels it like leaves a bad taste in my mouth when it's like one one series one bad playoffs in a uh split where you completely rebuilt yeah definitely i think changes and calling for changes and going for heads is the wrong thing to do 100 even though i think that most of the players are quite quiet in this series i think arguably the biggest debate on people's minds is like oh reckless would have helped fanatic but to be honest i actually think upset play, played pretty well in this series yeah. especially the one against Schalke. there was not much more he could do uh given what the game state was so i feel like yes there was a lot of quietness in the best of five but it like again it's one five-game series, right? It's one five-game series where pretty much everyone was quite quiet. Yes, the regular season was shaky. Yes, they finished, I think it was fifth place. Um, so to be expected in playoffs, it's not really a big surprise that they finish in fifth place, given that they finished there in the regular season. Uh, and there was a lot of shakiness and inconsistency in Fnatic overall, but I think give it some more time. I think most of us expected because it's Fnatic, they're going to be in the finals or they're going to be in the third place match, right? Yeah. Top three at least. <clears throat> but they haven't made it and that's the realistic side of things. Um, I think it's very hard. It's very hard as a pro player because I think that if you have like, let's say you have 10 best of fives in a row where you perform really well, people will think that guy's good. You have one or two in a row where you're playing bad. Instantly, it's like, yeah, they're trash. What the hell? Swap them, you know? Yeah. So I feel like the, the, the vibe that pro players get when they have a bad series or mm -hmm. the team itself just has a poor series, um, it gets a very bad like connotation around them. that They're just trash, like swap them out, all these things. You instantly think of just swapping them out and that really hurts a pro player mentality. I'm sure no one on, effect, on Fnatic's affected. Um, but I think this roster will be successful. Just give them give them summer split, give them more time to take off. They had a lot of issues this, this split, uh, given with COVID and all that stuff. 
Uh, I'm not trying to make excuses for them here. I'm just saying that this roster it looks strong on paper. I still think it's strong on paper individually. Uh, just they had a really bad series, I think. Yeah, and ultimately, it's not like Fnatic fans aren't disappointed. <laughs> and you, you can be because your team has this legacy and this history. But I think expect to get back there. But I think expecting it immediately is unfair to the players, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think, I don't know. I just hope the players can weather the storm and come back stronger. You know what I mean? Like, that's ultimately what I hope for Fnatic. I don't, to me, if Fnatic fall down and need time to rebuild, I think that's fine. You know, that that's the nature. It's like the fact that they were able to sustain a neck and neck level with G2 for so long. This G2 that has been so strong is really impressive. And, you know, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with it. I think I'm fine with it. At the time, I was like stunned. You know, when we cast that series, I was stunned. I was blown away. I was yeah, like, I did not think this was possible. I was like, wow, on one hand, so cool for Shalka. Two, on the other hand, like, what happened to the plot but, armor, Fnatic? Where did it go? But, yeah, like, Fnatic always have this armor in playoffs where it's like, we yeah. will make top four. But honestly, like you said, well, yeah, props to Schalke. Like, although people can debate that Fnatic played well, but Schalke finishing top four is really, really good for them, I think. Yeah, and obviously, uh, again, a heartbreaking series for, for Schalke there against Rogue. But let's let's take a look more at that series. Um, time to talk to the man, the myth, the legend, lord of the top lane, none other than Broken Blade. Let's see what he has to say about that Fnatic series. All right, and now we are joined by the one, the only, Broken Blade, top laner for Shalka Nofir. And uh, right off the bat, BB, I wish we could get you here on better circumstances. When we requested you, I was fully all steam ahead on the Shalka hype train. I predicted it on broadcast too, and through uh, you know, a sad turn of events, sadly we cannot get you after a win. But I would love to reflect on maybe the more positive half of your weekend first. We were just talking about Fnatic before we invited you on. I'd love to get your take, your thoughts on the on the Fnatic series and kind of what went so well for you guys as a team. Um, I think there's two parts to it. I think Fnatic uh, also had a really, really bad prep and really bad um, like week coming into the playoffs. But uh, also for us, I think we prepared really well coming into the game against Fnatic. We we knew how they wanted to play and we kind of punished their uh, play style. And that's why it kind of was a quick 3-0, you know, because, yeah, it's just multiplied, you know. They they had a really bad prep, I think, and I don't think they were really, like, at their peak at performing right now. And for us, we were just, like, starting to rise. Um, and that's why it was so easy. Was, was their plan surprising to you at all with this TF and then counterpick the GP with things like Lulu and Cho'Gath? And is this something that was in scrims or something you expected at all? Or was it like, wait, why are they, why are they playing TF Lulu? Or do you think like, oh, this should be a pretty free win though? Um, actually, they played it against us in scrims once, the Lulu. And that didn't really go well for us. Like I think <laughs> the, mm. the game was over in like 15 minutes. So maybe, <laughs> they, maybe they got some confidence from that. But... Uh, I've been really confident on GP since I'm in EU, actually, and those kind of matchups didn't really seem to work. Uh, maybe in, against other people, I'm not sure. So we played pretty well around the TF because we, we kind of know that Niski's playstyle is kind of these kind of champs, you know? So mm -hmm. we we're kind of expecting expecting it. Um, and after they failed to win with it two times, it's like kind of, they will not go for it again, you know? Yeah. And I think, I th what did they play in third? So they played. I'm not sure. 
Um, we'll just check the individual. Okay, ban GP right, and you played Aatrox in two Urgots? No, but Urgot I'll play Urgot. Aatrox, yeah. other way yeah, and then the last game, Corky. It was Corky Azir. Oh, yeah, Corky. I remember we were really sad oh, yeah. about it on the cast. We're like, oh, if this is going to be the last game and we end with Corky But Azir. then the bot dive. <laughs> but then the bot dive. And Abadage gets to look like Faker Dage yeah. one more time. Even though, in hindsight, maybe, maybe Fnatic was just griefing a bit on the dive. Uh, yeah, in general, this this series, like, we talked a lot about it where it felt like, shock you, like you guys just didn't have to show anything in drafts and picks and bands. It felt like you guys got to play one draft over and over and over again. Um, were, like, were you surprised that Fnatic just kept trying to force a lot of the same strategies? Because, I mean, like, by the time we got to game two and the, and the Lee Sin came out, I was... I was lost. Like, is Lee Sin, yeah. does Lee Sin exist in scrims? Have you guys seen Lee Sin at all? This is like a lot of what we saw was kind of coming out of left field. And I don't want to flame it because I don't know. I'm just curious if it's been um, showing up anywhere else. I think it was, it was because Selfmade was kind of uh, too overconfident. I think he went to 4 or 5 with his picks, uh, if I remember correctly. And yep. then we, we kind of banned him out, you know. So he didn't really have a good option. I mean, he could pick stuff like Lilia and stuff, but then they would have triple AP topside. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't really have a lot of options anymore, you know. And he he was probably thinking, okay, just give me Lee Sin, I'm gonna outplay them. Uh, but it just didn't work, you know. Uh, he had one really good play on Victor in mid lane, but that, that was it from Lee Sin in that game. And also, I think Bipo <laughs> died a bit too many times that game. <laughs> and yeah, we didn't really have to show much, you know. Yeah. And I mean, it felt like we we, we talked to I think Neon as well after the series, and it generally felt like the mood was pretty high heading kind of into this Sunday series. And I and I was pretty optimistic. But then when we shift focus to the sadder series for Shaka this weekend, it was the Rogue series um, at the end of the day, 3-1. This first game, uh, it just, it felt really difficult. How, how did it feel for you? Because you were, you were kind of the Aurelia. You were the person who was getting a lot of attention while I think in turn, like Neon was definitely kind of left on his own island just to survive against the the ash um you were the one getting the dives you were the one getting the support what did it feel like to play aurelia in that first game against rogue um to be fair it felt really bad um i think that whole comp was just way too good for us to play against uh, especially for my champ like i had a really really good one one matchup obviously and i think i was ahead so much cs but it doesn't help me actually win the game which was kind of sad um but also, like coming into the second game already, we 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 decided we don't want to go for a similar draft anymore. Um, and also on that on that game, I I think the next game I played Nocturne, and I yep. actually wanted to play Nocturne already on that game. Mm. But I kind of the Nocturne was really spontaneous. Like the day before we had the draft meeting, he was like, "Okay, can you play Nocturne?" He's playing champs that Nocturne is good into, and I was like, "All right, I'll practice it. <laughs> you know, I'll get it ready for tomorrow." And <laughs> And uh, yeah, and the first game I kind of I kind of got scared to pick it, but in the second game I was like, okay, if you don't pick it, we might just lose, you know. Mm. And it was actually a really good pick. Yeah, and it actually surprised me because you even taught me things on Nocturne that I didn't know where you ulted in and stride breaker the way to cancel your ult. I didn't even know you could do that. That was crazy <laughs> to see. Um, but after the first game, it was like a 26-minute game. You lost like a Drake fight, I think it was. They just TP'd in and ended the game. Even I was surprised that the game was just over. How did you guys bounce back going into game two? Because obviously you took game two, you chose blue side, you said you ran the Nocturne comp. Uh, was it like, did you guys feel down after that loss? Because it was pretty, yeah, pretty hard one, I think, after they just randomly ended after the Drake fight. Um, actually, yeah, it's very surprising. Our team, like even in the G2 series where we were down 2-0, um, no one was really like very tilted or like, 
yeah, the mood is just always up. And especially coming into the game, uh, the second game, our, our coach Dylan was like, guys, this is on me. You know, like he, he, he gives his players confidence to make it look like it's, it's his fault. Obviously, we always can play better. Right, but um, I think he, he he did a good job always adapting in draft, and I think already after the first game, our drafts were a lot better to play. Um, but then it just ended up on us playing worse. I think uh, lose games. Yeah, and I'm always impressed about like being able to turn around turn around that mental in those high pressure situations. I imagine it's really strenuous. Um, again, like game two, game two was where I was like, we're getting five games because that comp <laughs> looked so good for you guys. Like the, the your entire top side was just just cracked that game and obviously like neon was coming in clutch too he was doing a really good job but then like when you got to game three things got i think things got really difficult and despite some like solid moments um it just felt like a lot of the really clean really like everyone being on the same page kind of engages that we saw in game two weren't there anymore and part of that is like you don't have a hecarim nocturne anymore right you just don't have two champions that are unstoppable and can leap into the back line but i'm curious what did what did game three feel like to you? I saw a lot of um, limit kind of getting interrupted on these rel games. You had some, like you had some six moments, sick moments on the Wukong where it really felt like this was the flank. This was the time where you guys were going to turn, but ultimately it felt like Rogue stopped it every time. What was what was your perspective on on that game three? Um, I think game three it was going really really well. If if Bolin didn't go so bad, I think the game would be very easy to win. I mean, obviously sometimes it can happen that you just do mistake. And again, I think they play Kalista again, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just very snowball heavy. And if they if they make one really good play, it's hard to come back. Uh, also, we I think there was one team fight at the Dragon where I flashed in and I knocked up Syndra and multiple people. And if the Relson comes in a bit bit later, mm-hmm. like a point two three seconds later, we will chance to see him and he will just die and we'll probably just win the game. But uh, like these things can happen always. Like no one can always play perfect. No one can always play perfect off each other. Um, but I think that that was definitely a game that we should have won mm. because I I had the counter pick and I was really strong in the game. I and mean, my champs were my champ was also really good into all of their champs. Like Wukong was so good into Kalista. It's a bit worse against Syndra because she can one shot you until you have MR. But yeah, overall I think it was my game to carry and I, I just couldn't. Yeah, and just talking about the draft a little bit, uh, game three, game four, what we see a lot is if one team picks Kaiser, the team picks Saya, and vice versa, right? But obviously Rogue went for the curveball of just going Kalista, Gragas, Kalista, Rel, and going into game four, did you think Kalista was not a big problem? Do you think like, okay, we can manage this, it was just a bad game? Um, we were talking about it. Uh, we were talking if you should ban it, especially like Neona was suggesting it. <clears throat> but I think we were kind of, we we're kind of locked in the bands, you know, I think. So... Because they, they, they were playing the Senna Chogath, which was really dangerous already for us because we didn't seem to have a winning pick into it. So, um, I mean, obviously I don't know because I don't know about bot lane, right? But I, I personally didn't think Kalista was that big of a problem because in the first Nocturne game, she was really useless. She couldn't teamfight. And in, in the in the Wukong game, I don't even think she cared to teamfights. You know, I think it was mostly Syndra's damage that like, carried the fights so we didn't really think that was a huge problem it's interesting it's interesting yeah it felt like rogue very clearly just wanted to kind of invest in shutting down your bot lane to a certain degree with the callista just constantly having prio and it didn't really make it it was i think a stark contrast in terms of performance from limited neon in this series versus the other series and i it's hard for me to know how much of that is like 
how they're feeling on the day, how they're executing on the day. But you could it was very easy to see in the lane phase how they were just permanently kind of locked into their tower, whether it was from the Callista in games two through four or or from the Ash. It just overall felt like a difficult um, series. When you look back at the series as a whole, what do you think was like what do you think was the biggest thing that kind of went wrong for Schalke in this series that that stopped you guys from winning in the end? I think it's just um, neutralizing the ball lane. I think the ball lane got ahead almost every game, and that's where they're most comfortable winning the games because they're really good at snowballing through ball lane. They they get ball lane ahead. They swap for Herald. I think almost every game they were ahead, and <clears throat> they just make me put myself into a bad position where I have to trade gold, which I don't want to do. You know, like I I would like to. <clears throat> Play the one v one because I have to counter match up, like get ahead myself one v one through denying minions or like threatening the one v one kill, you know. Uh, <clears throat> but it's really hard to do since they they just swap at eight minutes, and they're really good at it. So it just wasn't um, possible. And we tried to neutralize the bot lane after game two, but they just I think they just play better. That's tough. I mean, I definitely, you could see it in the games, right? And especially game one is the most obvious one where they, they get the swap and it's even easier because Limit limit has a, a bad read on that on that first play for first blood. And and since then, you're you're forced to to roam the map trying to chase down this uh, this karma to just try to exist in your lane phase. And, and it's, um, it was rough, you know? And it was kind of, it was, as a spectator, it was interesting to see Rogue just continuously be able to do it. And it's good to have the context as just something that Rogue are, are so good at that it makes it so difficult to play against. Um Taking, I think, a step away from the series, Cajun, unless you have any final questions on the series. No, no. Uh, what, what, how do you feel when you look back holistically at this season? Because to me, as an outsider, it looks like the biggest emotional roller coaster of all time. You have a rough week one into like a four game win streak. You guys, are, <laughs> like, I'm, I talked to you guys about it, right? All the players, you guys were feeling good, maybe too confident. Seven game loss streak into 3 0, into, you know, almost taking down G2, into beating Fanatic, into losing to Rogue. Like, this is. This is an, it's a mess it's a hell of a coaster. Yeah, it's a hell of a coaster, dude. Like Disneyland's trying to buy the Schalke ride right now. I don't know if you've heard. Like, so <laughs> how are you? How are you feeling after this like super chaotic season? Um, honestly, I don't think I've ever played <clears throat> a season like that in my life. But it's been crazy. I think like we we've already had the most successful spring split on Schalke, which is a great thing, right? I think we could have done better. Um, I think the main issue was in in the seven game losing streak, we were trying to like um, widen our champion pool, widen our strategies of like how to win games. We're trying to play more uh, comps on just pressuring and instead of team fighting, and we were just bad at it. And we didn't want to put more time into it. And Dylan was like, "All right, no more useless champs. I don't want to see uh, no more Tom Kench. I don't want to see no more Nar. You know, Nar can be very useless in some team comps." Um, and we just stopped playing it and everyone agreed to it because we thought right now what is going to win us the games and it was just go in and fight you know mm-hmm. uh, but also uh, having like some sort of late game insurance with the gp um for example is what what worked for us you know so we just did it and eventually we got into playoffs and fourth place you know yeah, I think a lot of teams are trying, like the Lucian Tristanas with the Renekton Nidalees, all these things, snowbally comps, early game. Uh, and I think the, the main thing that worked for Schalke was just scaling and teamfight, which yeah. I think is always a good thing to fall back on. We did we did see the few, I think the one week where you guys played Senna, Tom Kench in both games, maybe it was two weeks where you guys played it. It was it was a very different team, and I can see why you guys would step away from it now. But when you when you look forward, like I know that 
Um, spring isn't the most important thing in a lot of players' mind. And I know, like, obviously you, you want to win as much as you can, but I know Worlds is always feels like the final hurdle for most people. Fourth place gets you Worlds in EU still. So how do you feel about the, how do you feel like looking forward to summer? How do you feel about that ambition? How do you feel about that goal? Do you feel like this is, this is a team, this is a lineup that can, that can make it there? Um, I think we can definitely make it, especially with people's like mental strength on the team. Like going zero seven is never easy, right? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, and especially coming back from that, um, is something I really respect from my teammates. Uh, last time I had such a long losing streak was actually in China, uh, which didn't feel well to me either. So I don't want to experience it again. Uh, but we are always looking forward for the next play. We already talked about it. Uh, actually, we had kind of a meeting where we do want to play those champs. We do want to be good at those champs because having just more champs in your arsenal makes your team a lot scarier. Like, for example, there's always some team that has these signature picks. Like, for example, the Senna Chogat for Rogue is always have to, it. It has to be respected. You know, you just can't just leave it like that unless. They might not perform for like four or three games or something. Um, but yeah, that's something that we all want to pick up. Uh, everyone took their responsibilities to why it didn't work. It's just we, we, we lack the patience in scrims to just let the people pressure. And sometimes we just didn't try as hard, you know, and it was just addressed now. And it will have to get fixed if you want to uh, make it, you know, because if not, then it's like, it's always going to be hard if, if not everyone's trying the hardest, if not everyone's being patient to, you know, because in every scrim, it's not always you who has to play the game. You know, sometimes you just have to lay back and let others play. Um, there's actually a really, really big reason of why sometimes teams don't work. I've had that a lot in, in the past, uh, where, for example, you're drafting a 5p counterpick for your mid laner, with, which is like, I don't know. Or even when he's playing Lucian into... A champ where he just wants to pressure on mid lane, where wants to pressure on the side, and for example, you you're me right now, and I'm on the side lane trying to one v one the guy, and all of a sudden I die, and then the whole map is like kind of messed up, and my mid laner can't get to practice, and it's a a concept that many people don't really realize if they don't think about it. You know, it's always in the back of their head where, yeah, I'll just play my game. You know. But it's not always like that. You have to let your teammates practice and your teammates have to let you practice at certain times. Um, for example, if you want to play for Drakes or if you want to play for practicing TP advantages, you don't just want to use the TP top for three minions, for example. Mm -hmm. right? Because that doesn't help anyone. Yeah, that's the thing I've learned in scrims as well. It's like one person wants to try a matchup or a bot lane matchup or you want to try something in scrims where you play for barons more or drakes and then one person's just running it down with like a bad matchup or is having a bad day and kind of ruins the whole scrim game or something just goes wrong and then you can never really practice things so yeah i think it's interesting i mean it's something we heard a lot about back in like 2017 2016 when the previous g2 roster was doing well that they had to like deliberately change what they focused on in scrims because if they they could get away with just hard forcing in all in all their lanes but they didn't learn anything doing that. And it's interesting mm. to hear you kind of talk about that too, uh, BB, when it comes to top lane, where it's like, even if you can see the 1v1 in your mind, even if it's a good trade overall, you kind of have to like resist the temptation to go in because that scrim is not about you. And it's... Yeah, and it works both ways, right? You could either be like losing your lane or you're like stomping your lane to the point where it's like, yeah, enemy top lane is useless, but we can get Drake anyway now. So <laughs> there's no practice in it. So, yeah. I mean, in League of Legends, there's always this steps that you do for an objective right and then it just depends like if you get a solo kill you can like break the rules of not 
going for vision, for example, you're so strong that you can just take the objective. But these kind of steps you just want to do when you have to do them, you know, like you, you like break the break the rules here. Um, like you, you do want to know how to get vision. You do want to know how to um, rotate on which wave. Uh, if you're so strong in that it doesn't matter, it you don't learn anything. You know, you just know that okay, I'm so strong um, that I can just start objective. But it's also important that on stage games you need to know when to skip those steps because if you're bad at it, then you're also a wasting kind of time where you can just take more gold from the enemy. I think that's so such a good way to put it. it kind of goes both ways. That's such a good way to put it, right? Breaking the rules when you get a solo kill or you get a solo kill, right? And then yeah. you go on stage and people are playing so safe. Now you need to know how to go through those steps without breaking the steps and the rules. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't envy you guys. <laughs> it feels so hard. You have so <laughs> many different versions of practice, none of which perfectly replicate a stage game. Like it's, it just sounds so frustrating to go to like solo queue where you can just just outplay them is like a fine answer to the problem. You've got scrims where it's like, okay, we can force here because we've got someone three zero. Because scrims, you're just taking it to the streets every two seconds. You're fighting at every opportunity, and then you go on stage. And we saw in every single stage, best of five, like at least for the first week, and maybe even the first week, and even maybe even your fanatic series where it was just like game one everyone is chilling like it's so slow it's so controlled no one wants to take any crazy stupid risks you know and then by the comparison game two is like a bloodbath because everyone is instantly more comfortable on stage instantly more ready to make these plays so as always i've said this to you before i said this when i visited the house like i, I do not envy you guys when it comes to finding good practice it seems like one of the biggest struggles in, in professional league of legends is actually emulating everything about a stage game um completely agree with you here um it's because you can't always depend on your teammates. You have to have to depend on the enemies to give you good practice. True. Because sometimes the enemy can get tilted because you just stomp him two games in a row and then he's just gonna run it down for the rest of the day. Which do which just happen. But yeah, it just depends always <laughs> on the enemies as well. Yeah, I remember like <laughs> this is a weird story, but in like twenty nineteen when we were screaming in Excel and like we would scream G two, you know, and then we'd get a bit stomped and then oh we don't scream g2 for the rest of the split what a surprise because they don't want to scream us obviously right because they're just stomping every lane so but by summer we started screaming them again so that was great but it just all comes down to like <laughs> it all comes down to like how good your team plays but how good the enemy team plays right if the enemy team's just running it then you can't really learn anything yeah it's, it seems really difficult um looking ahead stepping away from Shalka for a minute i would love to get your thoughts just as as a, as a pro player as an expert on the scene how do you? What are your thoughts, kind of on on Rogue versus G two as a matchup? Who do you think is going to see Mad Lions in the final? Like, what are your overall predictions for for this weekend's games? Um, I think uh, both teams are really, really good. Uh, I think though, if G two plays to their hundred percent performance, they have a slight edge. Uh, usually, Rogue, I would say before before playoffs, I think Rogue would look uh, a bit more calmer, playing the game a bit more um, like strategically better uh but they have looked a bit more rough even if he could take one more game from them just like mm -hmm. we did on g2 but uh i think g2 has edge but Rogue can definitely win the game it's not like it's uh, a one-sider or something are you are you a believer in the in the g2 losers bracket buff because on the one hand it feels like kind of a meme but on the same hand it feels like every single person just kind of unanimously agrees that like until you actually like cut the head off g2 you kick them out of playoffs completely like they are gonna show up they're gonna pop off like cajal keeps bringing up every reddit thread where like wonders played a million solo queue games and is suddenly back in like masters or grandmasters or whatever like do you believe that like 
do you always give that respect to G2, even if they've, you know, struggled against Mad Lions, even if they struggled against you guys? Are you always expecting, like, peak performance G2? Um, I, I would say that uh, the lower bracket is definitely better for certain personalities. Like, for, for me, for example, if I know that, okay, if I lose them out, I will just perform better, you know, because there's not these, this safety in, your, in the back of your head. Even if, like, in your subconscious, um, it just makes you perform better, in my opinion. Like, for me, at least. Like, when I was on TSM and we got kicked out on the upper bracket, we just started playing so so good, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden. Mm. Which which is funny. I think G2 is kind of similar. And they, I mean, I don't know if they will make it, but uh, Rogue's also a really strong opponent, but we will see. I think I think they will probably make it. I'm inclined. I'm inclined to until proven otherwise. I'm inclined to agree. Yeah. I think that until G2 are, are the goat of Europe right now. Until you, until you, until they actually can never come play anymore. You know what I mean? Until yeah. they're actually removed from playoffs. I think they're always the favorites. That said, um, does the same hold true? Let's say G2 make it to finals. You're still you're you're rooting for G2, uh, or you're expecting G2 to win versus Mad in the rematch. Um, I mean, I'm hoping that Armut will win because uh, it would be really nice if uh, a Turkish top laner would. Uh, we get a trophy in the LEC, you know. I got one in the LCS. Uh, if someone would get it in LEC, it would be really nice uh, for the Turkish community. And obviously, I don't hold any grudge to him or something. He's, he's a close friend of mine. And it would be nice, um, even though it's unlikely. But uh, it would be really, really nice. Nice, even though it's unlikely. <laughs> oh, man. I, as long as we get five games, I will be so happy. But we'll have to see. Um, Broken Blade, thank you again for taking the time to talk to us, dude. Enjoy some much-deserved rest and relaxation. I super look forward to seeing how the Schalke project changes and advances going into summer. Um, before before we let you go, are there any like final words you'd like to say to to the Schalke fans to kind of close out what I think was a, was a pretty fantastic season, all things considered? Definitely um uh, yeah i mean as i said uh, i think we had the most successful spring split so far and it was also uh i think it was a plan of the organization to make it this far and um, obviously winning the whole thing is always hard um uh, but if it's the most successful spring i mean i can't wait for summer as well you know especially with my teammates i think they are all uh, really motivated to to be even better and to to go to worlds uh, that would be probably our goal and yeah i just can't wait can't wait either, dude. Thank you again. Again, enjoy your time away. Thanks for taking the time to come on and talk to us. Um, yeah, fantastic split and can't wait to see you in summer, man. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Always good to hear from Broken Blade, but now we need to look ahead, look towards what is coming up this weekend. And it's my distinct pleasure to be joined by none other than El Yoya. But before we get started on El Yoya, I, I got to know... How does it feel to be in the finals for the first time, Cadrill? <laughs> okay, good one. Good one. Only your jokes are as good as your rapping. Anyway. <laughs> oh my God. Um, actually, but to the actual person who it's significant for, not just the player turned caster. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've been asked this question before, but I just like, I like the emotional. I like how excited you are. So tell us like, has it set in yet that you're a finalist? Because when you were when you were on PGL, you also tweeted out you said it was like it was like a dream. It didn't feel real yet. It's Tuesday now. Well, it'll be Wednesday when this releases, but it's Tuesday now. So it's has it set in? Are you like I am a LEC finalist in my first season? Can you does that feel normal when you say that? I mean, it for sure doesn't feel normal. But I think that also a big factor of it is because it's my first year. It's my first split, so. 
I'm not like I'm not so hyped for this final. For example, Mareki uh, Umanoitis because he's been he has never been in the finals. So I mm-hmm. think that he's really excited since it's his first time and he's been like trying for years. But since it's my first year, I don't feel like that excitement. Even though like for sure I'm excited, but yeah, it's not something that I've been chasing for that long. So I think I'm not as excited that, as him. That's interesting to hear. Yeah, because I met. I think that there's probably a difference when you failed a few times and then you finally do make it. Mm. But for you, you've just been... Not that you haven't worked super hard, right, to get to where you are, <laughs> but you've just been like, oh, in the playoffs, oh, BG2, oh, in, in finals, finals, you know? <laughs> not, that so you didn't work, not that you didn't work super hard for that, but, like, um, it's it's crazy. The I, meteoric rise is the only way I could describe it. I think it. the meteoric rise of your career in general, though, like, you, you've only been really been playing competitively since the Movistar Riders days, right? I suppose in a league, in a team. It's only been about two years for you. How, how are you feeling just in general? I mean, two years... Your first LEC split, you've made finals. When is this gonna stop? <laughs> like you're just beating everyone. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Like uh, I'm also like really surprised because two, I remember two years back I was like, okay, in one year I wanna be in SLO, and in two years I wanna be in LEC, and that was like my goal. I always had this in mind, and like even though people were telling me like that's really hard, like you're gonna fail at it, like yeah, no one. I mean, it's really hard to do, and I'm like. I'm going to try my best. So right now that I have accomplished that, it feels really good. But at the same time, it's like I'm not aware yet of what I'm doing. I think I won't be aware until I fail. Mm. Yeah, and I think that it'll be interesting to see, I think as someone watching from the outside, it'll be interesting to see what happens when you when you do fail. If you fail, who knows? Maybe it's just straight into the MSI title, dude. I don't know. Like at this point, like what? <laughs> who can really who can really stop you? Um but it's crazy to me because we, when we spoke to you at the start of the season, I kind of wanted to know who you looked up to, who you thought were the best players. And admittedly, I don't, you maybe you don't remember this, but you're like, okay, LAC junglers are great, but like we're all miles behind Canyon and Canyon is like the best and we need to respect Canyon. That was kind of what you answered. But the thing I asked you most was like, who are the, who are the hardest junglers to play against in scrims? Who are the most difficult players to play against? You said Inspired. You said Yankos. In playoffs, you've now beaten both of them in a best of five, which is crazy. And not in like, a lot of times when we see rookies beat, you know, be a part of wins on a team, so they're kind of quiet. Like Blippo and his split on Fnatic, he had a couple good games and he had a couple games where he was really quiet. But you have been enormous part of, I think, every one of Mad's wins. Like, how does it feel to beat people that you looked up to for a long time? How does it feel to beat these people that you, at the start of the season, called out as like the most difficult opponents that you could have in scrims? But now you've taken them down in best of fives. What is what is that like? Uh, I mean, it feels good because it's the ones I, I have always looked up that now I can beat. But at the same time, I feel like this is not... Like, as you mentioned before, like I still think that Canyons of M, these kind of junglers are miles ahead of you junglers. So I don't feel like I have accomplished anything yet because I think that if any EU jungler goes to an international event right now, we're going to get stomped. Like at least in the jungle, in like in the jungle, I think that uh, the Chinese and LCK junglers are way better than us. So even though I, can, I, I beat them in a BO5 to inspire it in Jankos, I also had like really inconsistent games, like game one against G2, I think Jankos played way better than me. Mm-hmm. Inspired also had some better games than me. So I still don't feel like I'm at a good point. I still feel like i need to be more consistent and like to be able to get that jungle gap every game or, or <laughs> however you want to call it so even yeah it feels great but i cannot like i aim for more 
And I remember listening to an interview with Armut with Laura after the best of five. And Armut said, like, the coaching staff is pushing me a lot to improve my top lane. I feel like I've learned a lot. Has the coaching staff been pushing you a lot as well? Has that been a big factor behind how you've improved so much this season? So me and Mac, we had the discussion like one one week ago that he he actually asked me, like, we've we we haven't worked like that much together as we have worked with Armut, for example. Do you want me to work on with you? I'm like no, I'm I'm fine on my own. Like I like to watch my boats on my own. I like to analyze the games on my own. I'm not a guy that I think someone needs to be behind me in, in order to to learn or to to be yeah just learn. I would yeah. say so. We haven't worked that much together, but like anytime I need, I have any question or anything, they are always there to help me. That's it's 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 actually crazy. And I, I feel myself repeating a lot of stuff we talked about last time, but you said all of these things about how individually motivated you are, how willing you were to learn from your mistakes and your opponents. And it's one thing to say that when we interview you in week two, you know what I mean? It's a, And like, it's another thing to say that confidently and that that has been consistently happening over an entire split in the face of a pandemic, in the face of, you know, a difficult regular season, going from normal games to stage games where you even talked about you like playing on stage more, um, yeah, honestly, honestly, it just blows me away. Um, is there anything that like you think could like take your progression to the next level? Is it just have is like is this the only thing that can really level up the way that you improve? Like having a guy like Canyon literally sitting over your shoulder and talking to you about jungle. Like what's what's the what's the best form of practice that you can imagine in your head? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think the best way of practice it would be uh, playing against the best. I think if I could go to an international event and I could scream like Damon or any Chinese team, I think I would get stomped to the ground. So I would learn a lot in, the, in those kind of games. And yeah, I think that would be my biggest practice right now. I actually have one question that I just thought of here and you might not be able to answer it just yet, but it's just out of curiosity. And let's say, let's say worst case, you didn't make MSI, you came second place, anything like this. Would you guys be screaming? the teams that arrive in Iceland, in Europe, against like, for example, Damwon perhaps, or whoever wins the LPL, would you scream these teams still in the offseason, regardless of being in the split? Mm, I actually don't know mm. about that. I mean, it would for sure be great, but I think that at that time, everyone is going to be on his country. I'm not, and I'm not sure if we all can get Wi-Fi or PCs to scream. Mm -hmm. I mean, I suppose, yes. So I think that if it's available, maybe we can do it. That's interesting. That's but cool. I'm not sure. Because also there's going to be like the EU, all of these pro players in the EU solo queue, uh, reminds me of Worlds that time when uh, it was in Europe and everyone was here and you would play solo queue against like Canyon and stuff like this uh, and Tarzan it was really crazy yeah it's wild and I think it would be cool while I'm still like obviously rooting for you guys it'd be cool for all of the um all of the EU teams that want to stick around that do want to give up some of their time off to get that opportunity to scrim because normally it's only Worlds where we really get to see all of Europe level up because mm -hmm. everyone gets a chance to scrim these these uh, international teams. So it would be nice. One of the big advantages, I think, of it being so close to us regionally is that, in theory, if you are around, you can scrim the Dan ones of the world, the LPL representatives of the world, heck, the NA, whoever, you know. <coughs> NA. <laughs> okay, fine. Okay. To find good practice. <laughs> That's um, good, sorry. Looking ahead, you're 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 chilling right now in the final series, which is uh, it's a very nice place to be because you get to you get to watch your opponents before you fight them. You're kind of like uh, like the emperor and gladiator. You're just you're chilling. You're waiting. You're going to see who's going to challenge you. Um, so I'd love to get your opinions on your potential finals competitors, uh, starting with Rogue. 
what is your opinion on this team right now? Because you guys, you guys beat them, um, I would say pretty handedly. And then I would say they turned it around a lot and played a very different style against Schalke, a lot more bot lane focus. What's what's your read on on Rogue right now? And again, if you don't, I'm I'm very aware that you might have to play this team. So if if it means I don't want you to give away any secret sauce here. So if you if you can't answer some parts of this, that's totally fine. No, yeah, I, I will. Uh, I mean, I will give my my truth uh, answer, and it's I feel like individually. They are, but like they play better. I think that they are better laners than I mean maybe our team or like inspired sometimes plays the jungle better than us. But I think that as a team we are better than them. I think they are really slow at pulling the trigger. I don't think they know how to close uh, to close out the games really well. And I think that that's what uh, lost them so many games because most of the early games they were ahead. This is like I mean I would say it's no surprise if you watch our series. Like most of the early games they were ahead, but at the time of pulling the trigger, I think they weren't. They, yeah, they weren't able to do it. Uh, I remember game two, I was playing Bolivar into Graves and he was two levels ahead, I think. He got like really advantage from killing uh, Humanoid. Mm-hmm. And uh, that I think they should have won that game, but they were really undecisive. They, and we just pulled the trigger on one time. I remember we flashed on Graves and we got some other kill. We got Nash and then the game is over. So I would say that that's the biggest difference between us and Rogue. I think that we... We are way more aggressive with our leads, and the moment we have a lead, we don't throw it away. And I think that they are really hesitant to to do other things. Yeah, and I think the thing that stood out to me the most with that actual point that you just brought up is the Rogue versus you versus Rogue game four, where they have like all the Drakes, the Aphelios is so fed, they're like five to six k gold up. It feels like you're all pretty much out of the game, but then just they just got caught. They didn't cover Larson on side lanes. The team fights were set up well, and Armut was so fed on the Urgot. Even though they had Infernal Soul, you guys still won that game. So I can kind of see what you're talking about there with them struggling to close out games for sure. But yeah, against the Schalke, I think they turned around a lot. Yeah, for sure. I just felt like they were still kind of pushing lanes individually. But you obviously saw they... they Schalke felt like they were very, I guess, bot lane reliant. Maybe that's the biggest issue that the mm-hmm. Schalke was a struggle and they shut down bot lane just about completely. Um, what was What was your take... If you did get a chance to watch the Schalke series, like on on what was like the biggest change for Rogue? Was it just that they had a better plan, that they had a better strategy? Do you think that they stepped up at all when it came to pushing leads that they had, or do you just think that compare like Schalke just weren't as good at coming back maybe from those deficits that you guys were in the Mad Lions series? Yeah, I think Schalke was not as creative as we were, but I also think that uh, Rogue adapted from one week to another. I think they were playing way more aggressive around Bodlin, and if we play them now, I think it would be. A different cities. I think this time it would be way more bloody, and we would have way more fights, and maybe they could win. Or, but I think we would still win. I think we, we would still. Yeah, I think we're better <laughs> at fighting, so I would say we win. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to hear that confidence coming through. Is it a concern of all from your team? Because like, obviously, it's really good that you guys are so good at team play, but that you are falling so far behind in lanes against a team like Rogue. And while you did beat G two everyone's hyping up the rematch like do you think this is going to be the the big the big struggle for you guys when it comes to whoever you play in the finals is like getting out of these lane phases without too big of deficits no i think we'll be fine like even though i mean i don't think we always like we for sure not always lose lane like i think that we sometimes have some inconsistent lanes and we fall a bit behind but overall like we can match them like any of the finalists for sure in terms of laning so i think that lane is not a problem Inu, I think that once we go to Korea or LPL, then we're in lanes. <laughs> and we're for sure in lanes. Oh my God. 
Okay, the brutal I, honesty. I love that. That was fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for the context. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll keep that part in, but just for the record, if you guys do win finals, you have to go, yeah, no, we're going to be fine internationally. You need to give the EU fans their um their copium. You need to let them, you're going to be like, guys, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Um, even if you're still sweating, you got to, we got to like, we got to get that, uh, got to get those speeches going for the EU fans. We yeah. got to hold on to that we'll hope. Have to get the speeches going. So both these teams you beat, now these teams will face each other. Who do you think is going to win the G2 Rogue series? I mean, I think uh, G2 against Rogue, G2 will still uh, be the favorite to win. Mm-hmm. I think they are way more aggressive with their leads. And the moment they, they will have a lead, they are just going to take over. And I think Rogue is really hesitant to do those engage or do those nashers. So I still favor G2. Also, I think that G2 takes a lot from losses. And they are going to learn a lot from the series we had. I think that they are going to fix their mistakes. And I think the real BO5 will be on Saturday. I think that's going to be the real banger. Oh, the real banger. Um, do you mean Sunday? Do you mean your game? I think your game's on Sunday. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was like, Saturday is also, I think it's all bangers, if I'm completely honest. <laughs> um, in general, as kind of like final final discussion. I don't want to. I and, and for fans watching, this isn't. I'm not 100 percent convinced that Elio is going to win the split. It's not what I want to ask, but I'm. I'm curious because you do talk a lot about internationally, and I know you look internationally a lot to other regions. Um, what is what is your take right now on Europe's strengths as a region compared to LCK and the LPL? Because you're not. It doesn't sound like you're super thrilled about our jungle pool um, when it comes to stacking up against the canyons and the SOFMs of the world. So. We want MSI once, El Yoya. It's like, can we do it again? Or are we like praying that like TL or Cloud9 is knocking out all the LPL and LCK teams for us so we can play <laughs> them in the finals? Like, what, what's, what's your take on, on international? I mean, okay. I'm a bit of a new flamer. So maybe my take is not the, the best one or like the, at least the fun, what the fans want to hear. But I mean, this is my opinion. I think that uh, if we go to an international event right now, the Dublin pool, it's really bad in Europe. I think that uh, the Korean and Chinese top laners are... I mean, if junglers are miles ahead, I think that top laners are like oh, so much ahead of EU that we will we would struggle against them in terms of just lane. I think that by raw difference of laning, it's going to be a bit hard to come back the games. Mm. At least in like against playing against the first seat of Korea or the first seat of, the first seat of LPL, I think they are more aggressive. But... I also gotta say that if in Europe we can get a uh, we can get a lead, I think we can for sure close out the game. So it's gonna depend on if we can get the lead. So if we can get the lead, we can for sure win the games. But it depends on yeah, quick getting that lead. Quick question about this top lane pool that you're talking about, this top lane gap in the international uh, LPL, LCK top laners versus European top laners. Is that purely one v one? Because I see a lot in LCK, a lot in LPL, especially where it's. It's a three-man top level four. It's a three-man top level six. And enemy top is just completely out of the game after two dives. Is it more 1v1 that you're talking here? Or is it more just top side in general? So I think uh, the difference is 1v1. I think they are better at the, uh, the, the way of communicating their waves, uh, stacking waves, what to do with their waves at any point. I mean, and even trading. I think they, they are overall better. So they are, yeah, I think that they are just better laners and that makes it really hard to play because they can just stack up waves and be three-man top, like minute five or whatever, and it's really hard. And you said you watch a lot of VODs on your own and now you're talking about top lane's biggest gap, which is, I guess, something that you've noticed from watching the VODs. When you watch these VODs of teams, are you looking at jungle? 
for example, if you watch Damwon, are you watching jungle specifically or are you watching absolutely everything and then you see something happen in mid and you're like, oh, humanoid, maybe we can implement this or Karzi, they did this, this, this and this. Can we try this? Or are you just single, single focused on jungle? So I take the the whole picture of the game because I think that as a jungler, it's important to know what's going on on the three lanes in order to play your lane like jungle because you're playing for three lanes. So you need to understand how they work and like everything they need to be the best jungler you can. So I, I try to look at everything and like trying to understand like, for example, why does he pick this, uh, not, like, I don't know. I'm going to try to think of like uh meat, don't be, why, why does he pick it? I mean, it's just for good to be two with the jungler. Like I'm trying to learn all of that. And every time I see a weird pick, I tell Humanoid or I'll, I'll, I tell Karzi or even uh, Mac, if that's good, we can maybe implement it or yeah. Interesting. I like it. I like how willing you are to learn across the board. Um, and I like how much you're willing to share with us. Not that other junglers aren't doing this. Just you're uh, potentially, <laughs> I don't know. But you're the one who's been telling us that you're doing it. And I like that you are doing it. Um, so final prediction. It's you versus G2. It's toe to toe. Is it a bloodbath? Are you 3 owing them? Is it five games? What is, I want, before we let you go, final finals prediction here in the LEC. Who's taking it? What's the score? I think it's going to be uh, 3-2 for us. I think we're going to take it, but I think it's going to be really close games. I think, yeah, it's going to be just more interesting than uh, this uh, past week because they're going to come way stronger. and We're still going to fight them the match uh, the best we can. So I think it's going to for sure be a banger. And luckily we can get five games. <laughs> Even more likely we can take the, the win. And then go to MSI. And then go to MSI. And lose to Canyon. But... <laughs> learn and that's what's important hey. or win the whole thing i'll take either if defending, we can defending get lead, champions i mean all i know is i still haven't lost a, a vo5 in lac so true there 100% you go. win right oh my god okay there I it is like it. there it is you've earned that ego you, you hold on you, hold that. On you earned that, yeah. that um good luck man and in the week in the preparation i hope you guys can learn a lot from watching the rogue g2 series and actually and get value out of that upper bracket seed that you guys fought so hard to earn um otherwise yeah just good luck in the best of five i hope it goes swimmingly i hope you guys are able to play at 100 percent we're and casting it. talked about this we're casting it all we want to see is both teams at 100 percent let the better team win out on the end but uh congrats on your wildly successful split with the mad mm -hmm. lions and let's see uh, how far you can take it thank you so much always good to uh kind of get more insight from the players from both these players and uh excited to see what is going to happen this weekend of course Elia, the final boss at the top of the bracket waiting for either g2 or rogue how are you how are you feeling right now Cadre? about prediction wise what are you expecting um to be the big matchup obviously saturday is g2 versus rogue sunday is the grand finals mad versus the winner of the Saturday match. What's what's your vibe? Who's taking the split? What are your predictions? Predictions, predictions. Every prediction I get I do is wrong. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just because because most of the predictions I do, I just go with the most obvious choice, right? The fan favorite. So I think going for the fan favorite is something I'm not gonna do next bit. But however, for now I will stick with the fan favorite because G2 Wonder has played 15 Soloki games in one day, which is more <laughs> than he's played in the entire season or something like this. Uh, that was a Reddit thread. thread. Yeah, 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 some yeah, Reddit yeah. thread about Wonder spamming solo queue. So G2 has obviously had a bit of a wake-up call because they know if they lose against Rogue, obviously they're out. So I think they're here to win the split. I think they had... Um, yeah, they, ha they had a lot of question marks now going into, the next, into this weekend. They have a lot of question marks, a lot of answers to show the public that like they're still in form, they're still a good team, uh, they're still the best team in Europe. Because obviously they lost to Mad Lions, right? 
they won one game, but their plan going to the Mad Lions game was all about the Karma bot lane uh, and Caps being the main carry. I wonder if they're going to expand, go for a triple threat like Mad Lions does, mm-hmm. uh, get everyone back on their own comfort and then just go and rock it and take the cup. So I think G2 is going to win the split still. Even though it looks quite it looks quite dire for them right now, I still think G2 are going to win the split. But that's nothing to take away from how good Mad Lions look, honestly. Mad Lions have looked fantastic. Um, let's give the people something to look out for. we got a few minutes left in the cast. I want to keep people excited. I want people to keep people focused. Get pumped. Get pumped. Of course, it is also hour-long ready checks on both these playoff days. So oh, starting baby. 30 minutes earlier than we normally do. That said, day one, G2 versus Rogue. What is, like, what is the most hyped matchup here in your eyes um, lane was lane role was the most hyped matchup to me it's probably top lane mm. i want to see wonder on a carry and you're really cracked you're like this man played 13 solo queue games and you're instantly on the I'm a big, train i'm a big wonder fan i think wonder is, is the best top laner in europe honestly even though he doesn't get as much credit as the other carries on g2 i still think he's like definitely the best and then you have Otto Wamne, who's also cracked out of his mind in the, in the regular season at least i think the playoffs has been a bit up and down for him yeah um He's had a, really, a few really good performances, but a few really questionable ones. Uh, but to me, top lane's most interesting. I think for most people, it's probably going to be mid lane, like Caps uh, versus Larsen or uh, Inspired versus Yankos, right? The mid jungle is really cool to duck out before. And top lane's a bit of an island now, but I think that's the that's the coolest matchup for me. I like it. What about you? For me, I think it's it's jungle. Oh, yeah? I'm like really invested in the LEO. You, you know me, like I, I've, I never considered myself like really into narrative in general yeah. but people keep calling it out for me because i think i just like good storytelling and mm. the Yo's story is so crazy to me mm. that i'm like i'm vying for elio whoever right like whoever wins this i just want to see like who's the jungler that's going to challenge elio can elio show up in the finals it's always the polish unity right but elio is like El-Yo-Yo's the polish slayer inspired boom yankos boom, boom and, and he's like, in the finals <laughs> he's in the finals he's taking out both bam bam you know he's there he's ready and so i think Kind of regardless, I'm just waiting to see who's going to challenge him and then if he can show up in the final. Because it feels like, again, in, in the story arc, right, he just keeps hitting these challenge and he keeps overcoming them, right? Like, mm. can he show up in playoffs? Is he going to choke? Is he going to, like, mad with the team? That's the thing. That, like, choked a little bit at Worlds, you know, that, that struggled. Is El Yo-Yo going to be another, like, page in that book? No, instead, he, like, plays out of his mind. He's a god. Bam, he takes down Yankos. Or takes down Inspired. Bam, next week he takes down Yankos. It's like, I'm... It's dope. It's the yeah. coolest thing I've seen in a long th- time. The coolest thing about our league is the fact that these players are playing good, even though they're on stage. These teams are playing so, so good, even though they're on stage. It doesn't matter. Everyone was like, they're going to go on stage. This team's going to choke. This team's going to choke. This team's going to get a buff. This team's going to get a buff. Doesn't matter. Everyone's playing hella good. It's actually so nice. Yeah. Because that's the worst. Because you have to mention those things. For the record, as a caster, I think it's always important to bring that kind of stuff up. Those kind of intangibles of you know, the history of a team, uh, you know, the expectations on Fnatic and on G2. And I think they're rightfully earned because these are organizations that always seem to put together teams that can, like, trounce the top. And the stage performance is another one where it's like stage performance is a really big deal, but it's hard because how do you know for sure that it's like a player choking on stage versus just playing poorly for other reasons? That said, I love it when I get to bring it up once and then never have to talk about it again because everyone is popping off. Because I hate, I hate watching a team go on stage they play like crap flop. for no reason. They come out and they say, hey, we choked on stage. Like, ah, it's uh, part it's of the- being a person. Perform- that's like part of being yeah. a human is truly an authentic human thing. But I hate talking about it because you can't be 100% sure until the players have said it. And it's the biggest feels bad. All we want to watch is 100% versus 100%. Yeah. I don't want underperformance. Every- I don't want sickness. I don't want any of that crap. Every single time, 100% versus 100%. And it's weird because the teams who we thought might even have a chance of choking are the teams that stomped everyone. 
Yeah, Mad Lions is in the finals. <laughs> Rogue had a shaky best five, but they stomped Schalke. Schalke was stomping G2 and Fnatic. So, uh, yeah, there's no such thing. It's just a, a social construct. <laughs> I mean, doesn't there exist. is such a thing. It just doesn't exist this <laughs> season, bro. <laughs> doesn't exist for now. <laughs> doesn't exist for now. And that's the most we can hope for. All right, this Easy. has been Euphoria Season 7, Episode 12. This weekend, Saturday, Sunday, it is back-to-back. Best of fives, Rogue versus G2, followed by the winner of that series versus the Mad Lions to take the trophy, to take the, the crown. crown. King's <laughs> Legacy, King's Legacy, Dynasty, King's Narrative. Um <laughs> Big weekend. It's going to be a big, big weekend. Hour-long ready checks, lots and lots of hype. We're going to have some sick guests on broadcast. And most importantly, for this podcast, myself, Cajal, Ender, we will be casting the finals. Buggers! Big Pog. Casting finals. First split, bro. You're cracked. It's fantastic. No, you're cracked. No, you're correct. No, you're correct. All right. This has been the podcast. Also, uh, be sure to like and subscribe, I guess, is what we're supposed to say at the end of this thing. It's not my YouTube channel. It's LEC, but do it anyway because we got a lot of views, but not as many subscribers. Get in there. True. Also, be sure to follow Cadrill at Cadrill on Twitter and at Daniel Dracos. We're trying to put, I don't know, again, I don't know what the numbers do, but we're trying to get the numbers up. It makes us feel good. So we're going to pop this podcast off. There you go. And yeah. We're going to pop off on the cast as well. There's lots of popping. There's lots of popping. <laughs> it's okay. celebratory. All right, here we are. That's Brand new whip just hopped in. <laughs> I got up. I can't. The next one is not. The next line I can't say. I think it's not a podcast. I don't know what the next line is. <laughs> All right, it's been season seven, episode 12 of Euphoria Podcast. It's finals weekend. We'll see you guys next week as well. After finals weekend, we're going to do one more episode where we talk to the winner, where we talk the MSI. So get ready. Down. This is not the last episode of the season. There's one more coming. Otherwise, we'll see you guys this weekend on broadcast. LEC finals. Do not miss it. Poggers.